0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: The psalm that we are about to study speaks of God in His power, in His glory, and in His victory. We're going to see that this psalm is given to us within the context of kingdom. And that's a great thing to realize that there is a kingdom that God is going to establish. Now, we have to set something in order. And that is, there's this frequent teaching today among many who are very popular, but they speak things such as this. God is your greatest fan. God is on your side. God is going to help you achieve your destiny your dreams. He is going to give you victory. And all of that in the way that it's being presented is deceit. It is not founded in the word of God. Where does it say that God is my fan, that God is on my side? None of this is biblically sound. What we find is that God is not a respecter of persons, meaning this. God doesn't have a favorite God doesn't deal one way with someone and one way differently with someone else simply because they're different people and God says, I like this one and I don't like this one. I'm choosing him and I'm rejecting her. We don't see that. We see that God is a God of righteousness, meaning he has righteous standards that do not change, that are absolute. He has truth. And those who... Are on God's side, are the ones who is going to be the recipient of God's goodness, His blessings, His promises. So God's never on your side. He's on the righteous side, His side. And wisdom demands that we join with Him. We need to be praising Him. Where does it say, God's your greatest fan, He cheers for you. Heard on a station that that I am on a promo. With such things as this, how untrue. No, we need to realize that we are called to be his fan, to praise him, to give him thanks, to cheer all the wonderful things that God does. Let's not turn it around. That's heresy. So we need to realize that the wise one, the faithful one, the obedient one, hears from God, responds to that, in the way that God demands and therefore as a result of entering into a covenant with God walking in the purposes of God we can find that we're living a praiseworthy life one that God approves of not because we're his favorite but because we're obedient we have entered into a covenantal relationship with Him through that gospel we are submissive to his instructions that's how we find Victory. Yes, God gives victory, but to those who are with Him, not the other way around. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 76. The book of Psalms and Psalm 76. Now, it begins with an inscription. It says here, to that chief musician or to that choir director, that leader, and it says, Ben. Ginot, which is perhaps on a string instrument. The word here would, would lead us to a conclusion that it's an instrument, and that word would also uh, cause us to think that it's a string instrument. And then it says mizmor, a Psalm, a Psalm that was written by Asaf, a Psalm of Asaf, and then we have Shir, meaning a song. That this would have been sung let's move on to the next verse in my bible perhaps a continuation of that first verse in your bible where it says no elohim which means is known who's known god god is known in judah now judah is of course a location it was also a name of one of the sons of Jacob, the fourth son. And that term, Judah, means thanksgiving and praise. Now, one of the ways that this can be understood, and I believe a proper way in addition to that simple meaning that God is known in Judah in that location, but God also, when we worship him, when we praise him, when we thank him and remember That's what that term Judah means, to extend to God thanksgiving and praise. When we do that, God, in the spirit of worship, God makes himself known to us. And that's good so that we can affirm him, that we can agree with him, that we can submit to him, that we can implement his word into our life, into every situation that we find ourselves. And then secondly, it says... In Israel, once again, Israel, a word of of location and people. But it can also be understood, and rightly so, as a word of victory, a word of triumph. So what we find is in victory, we learn something. It says, great is his name. Name, say this almost every message, name is synonymous with character, character. So in victory, we learn about the character of God, why God gives us victory, why he moves in that way to deliver us and defend us. It just doesn't happen by chance. It all comes about because of who he is. God behaves according to his identity, his character. So in victory, we learn more about How great God is, how wonderful, and great is his character, his name. Look now to the next verse where it says, "Va'yhi ve Shalem. Now, Shalem, most see here because of parallelism. Remember, this is a psalm. It's poetry. The chief characteristic of Hebrew poetry is, is parallelism. And what's parallel with the word Shalem? The word Tzion. Or Zion. So that's why we know that we should not translate it as the word Shalem, which means whole or complete, but a location, a place. So it says, and his tent. Now this is like a tabernacle, but not one that was set up as the Mishkan, that tabernacle, but the, as in the Feast of Tabernacles, this portable tent that the children of Israel lived in those 40 years in the wilderness. And what it speaks to is a God who is reliable, a God who is trustworthy. So God, it says here, and his tent is in Shalem. His tent and Shalem is an abbreviated term for Jerusalem. And that shouldn't surprise us because if we keep reading, it's his dwelling place is in Zion, is in Zion. So his tent and his dwelling place, parallel to one another, very similar. As well as Shalem and Zion. And we have this this idea here of God putting himself where? Well, scholars teach us that these two words, Shalem and Zion, these two words, Zion and Salem, many people will say, These two places are are a hint towards the kingdom. They are kingdom words. And therefore, we see the presence of God where? Ultimately, in his kingdom. That's what he's moving to establish. And we'll talk more about how God establishes it in that next verse. Look at that. Where it says, there, there he broke. And we have the term, rishfei kashat. Now, kashet is the Tanakh way of saying the term in modern Hebrew, keshet, which is a bow. We usually think of a bow and arrows. The word that comes before the term kashet is the word for fiery, for sparks, for flames. And therefore, when we look at it, it speaks about a bow that is on flames of fire. And most believe that it's speaking not so much about the bow, but what the bow is used for, and that is to send forth arrows. And the fire refers to these burning arrows that are a a force, a weapon of warfare. And what does God do? He breaks them. The enemy cannot stand against God. And also, it says the shield and the sword, and war, meaning, most, again, scholars see this as weapons of war. So these weapons of war, the shield, the sword, and this this fiery arrows that are shot from a bow, God, he breaks them easily. And notice how this verse ends with the word selah, which is a word of emphasis and a word of affirmation, that we can rely, we can trust upon this fact that god is able to defeat the enemy look now to the next verse it begins with the term naor now naor comes from the word or which means light or illumination and here it's in the past tense or excuse me the passive voice which means that which is illuminated so the idea here is that god is being illuminated meaning he's stepping into the light he becomes visible and because we see that God we see him notice what it says "Ata you you are a deer which means wonderful spectacular marvelous so God he is illuminated we can behold him and that's a kingdom outcome when we behold God, we're going to see how marvelous and wonderful He is to the extent. Notice what it says. May Tarif, which means He's greater. And the idea here might be stronger, stronger than the mountains of, of prey, meaning these, these strong mountains where there's full of, of animals. God's stronger than this mountain. And mountain is seen as authority, as power, as rule. God is greater than this. He's stronger. He's more marvelous than anything that has been created because God is not a creation. He is the creator. And then notice verse, verse 6 in Hebrew, probably verse 5 in yours. It says, And it's a word for, in one sense, going wild, being almost uh, out of control, but some will say it's also related to the concept of plundering, taking possession of. So the context is that God is beyond, beyond any type of limitations. He transcends all things. This is the intent of this going wild, going beyond, being out of control, meaning no boundaries. God goes beyond that. He is the transcendent God. And he's able to take spoil, to plunder. To plunder who? Those that are of a, a brave heart. And it says here, such in the visuals, what happens? It says here that their sleep falls upon them, meaning that, that they go to sleep. They cannot and Some of the the translators use this concept of falling to sleep and more fainting. So God is so mighty. He is so powerful. He breaks all types of of borders and such. He goes beyond. He's without limitations. That, That in his presence, those who have a courageous heart, they faint before him. That's the implication of what's being conveyed here. And then look on. It says in the last part of that verse, for all the people of war, it says, all the people of war that's that's in their hand, meaning they're mighty men of valor, they're not going to be found. They are not going to be present. They cannot stand before him. Why? Next verse. From, from, Your rebuke, O God of Jacob. God just rebukes them, and his rebuke causes them to crumble, causes them to not be in opposition. They faint in his presence. And we see that where it says, nirdam. Nirdam is a word which means to fall asleep. That same word in modern Hebrew is used for for the doctor, that puts someone to sleep gives them that that uh chemical that causes them to fall asleep to lose consciousness and what it says here is basically and look at the next two words rechev which is a chariot and the the sus the horse so the horse and the chariot just just also is is falling away cannot stand faints goes to sleep in the presence of god meaning they cannot even tolerate to be in the presence of this god why next verse you are awesome and it says literally you and then it says awesome are you and who is able to stand literally who will stand before you when at the time at the time of your anger when god is is wrathful who's able to stand who will be standing at this time the implication is everyone is no more they just faint before him they cannot mount any type of resistance against him verse 9 in hebrew here it speaks about another context now it's a kingdom context but we know god's kingdom will be established immediately after the time of his judgment and that's what we see here notice this verse from the heavens you will cause to be heard judgment now it's not the normal word judgment which is mishpat but dean as in judgment day so it's speaking about God's proclamation of judgment, his verdict, in other words. So from the heavens, you will be caused, you will cause to be heard your verdict. And the earth, the earth will be afraid and will be still or silent. Nothing that they can say, no appeal, nothing that they can do because God's righteous judgment is, is not able to be appealed it cannot be spoken against because god is carrying it out and then it says look at next verse when god he rose for judgment but judging one group but to save all the the afflicted ones or humble ones in the land selah That is intensified and affirmed. So God judges, but it also says in the midst of his judgment, he will save all those who are the humble of the earth. And this is a word which refers to trusting and being dependent upon God, recognizing their limitations and recognizing his lack of limitations. Next verse. For... The anger of man. Now, this is not the anger that belongs to man, but the anger that from God that man is going to receive. So for the anger, and we can help understand it, that God will place upon man, what will happen? It says that such things praise you. They are going to, those who receive the anger of God are going to confess you, O God. They're going to acknowledge you. And it's that anger that's going to cause them to do just to confess. Now, this is word of thanksgiving and a word of praise. Even though those who are the recipient of his anger are going to be eventually cast out of his presence, they are going to acknowledge who God is. They are going to give him praise, even though it's too late for that praise to benefit them. They are going to acknowledge him. And he says, the rest, and some would say, the remaining part of God's God's anger, what will he do? He will gird himself with. Meaning God is a God who is beyond, greater than the need. He is this God who is abundant. This God who overflows in all things, including his judgment. And then it says, next verse, what should be the response? Based upon what we've learned about God, we should respond properly. And we should, notice it says, nidru, which is a word which means to make a vow. Now, what this is, is a statement in this context of pledging a commitment that we should be individuals that submit to God, commit to God, that we understand our obligations to God. And therefore, those to do so, notice the next word, which means they should pay. So we recognize our obligations to God, our commitment to Him, and we are quick to fulfill it, to carry it out to the Lord God. And who understands this? All those who are around Him. Those who are in his presence, they understand that we should be committed to God and act obediently in that commitment. And notice what else we should do because of who he is. It says, they will bring a gift to who? To the one who is to be feared. Now, I like that term. Word says here, and it's a phrase, la mora. And it's morah, meaning the one who is feared. La means two. So bring a gift to the one who is to be feared. Give him priority and therefore acknowledge him with these gifts and offerings. Last verse. Now, here it talks about the greatness of God in poetic, symbolic language. We have here the phrase ruach ne gedim. Negedim are princes. And here the spirit, and this is the essence of. Sometimes the word ruach is used for the spirit of, the very essence of. So these ones who are princes, men of notoriety. What's God going to do? Well, the first word is yifsor, which means he is going to subdue them. He is going to reduce them. In other words, he is going to put them in their place. That's what it's saying here. These men of notoriety, these men of pomp and circumstance, these men of honor in the world, God's going to put them in their place. Then the next word, Nora, this word that we've seen before, awesome this word for speaking about how wonderful, marvelous God is, and is a word that speaks as well that we should be individuals that fear him. So it says, All the kings of the earth, and it's simply lay Malcheha arts, to the kings of the earth. He is going to be recognized as being awesome. Now the question is this does this describe us? Do we recognize He is the king of kings. Do we recognize that he is without limitations? Do we understand that that God is a God of order? He's a God of righteousness, of justice. He's a God of absolute truth. He has his moral standards. None of this change. And therefore, what we should do is respond to this, meaning that we should submit to him. We should seek a way to connect with God, to become part of the family of God, the kingdom of God. And there's only one way to do that, through his word, specifically, through that gospel message. And the great thing about the gospel is this, not just that it saves us, yes, indeed, that's wonderful. To be a a kingdom individual, have that sure hope of, of being part of God's kingdom, of course, this is wonderful. And that's one outcome of the gospel but the another outcome of the gospel is that we are given the privilege and i want to emphasize this we are given the privilege of participating in the will of god and it's only when we understand that commitment and we are faithful we carry out that commitment then and only then we can expect the benefits from god that god will give us victory, that God will deliver us, that God will see our behavior, and he'll be pleased by that. He'll say, well done. He will be saying to us that he is acknowledging us in our faithfulness, bringing us unto him. All of that is marvelous. But don't think, as some teach, God's my biggest fan based upon what? God's going to give me victory based upon what? Too many times people think this. Well, I'll just say, yes, I believe in Yeshua, in Jesus. And therefore, God's going to be on my side. He's going to help me when I need him. He's going to cheer me on. He's going to give me my desires. False. Very popular. Fills stadiums. Sells many books. But it is not the truth of God's word let's be mature let's understand the character of God so that we can respond to him in obedience acknowledging that character and wanting to to imitate him that is what a disciple of Messiah Yeshua that is what one who has been saved a recipient of God's grace this is how they order their life I'll close with that Shalom